0: You are listening to the Special Needs Mom podcast. This is Kara, your host, and I am so glad you're here. Before we get into this episode, I want you to know that Pathway to Peace, which is a group coaching program, is currently available to join. This program is built on three main pillars. First, coaching. It's the real powerhouse. It's what I do. It's what I love. Second, community. And if you've been around for a little bit more than a minute, you know how I feel about community and the power that it has to heal and change your life. And lastly, I have a library of content filled with resources, with modules, with lessons. We go way deeper than I can go in on the podcast. And these are available to you in a way that you can consume them in your busy life. This program would be a good fit for you if you've stabilized past the point of initial diagnosis and find yourself spinning a little bit more than you'd like to in overwhelm. And you can't imagine how given all the things in your life, you can have any sort of peace ever again. Through the program, you will gain the gift of acceptance. You will do the work to recover your spark. You'll leave the program with the tools and the confidence that you have what you need to have joy and peace part of your life once again. So it's time to change it up. I know you've been saying yes to everybody, especially serving with all your heart and everything you have to your child. Now it's time to say yes to you. Find the link in the show notes to get more information and for next steps. Hi, I'm Kara, life coach, wife, and mom to four incredible and unique children. It wasn't all that long ago that my son received a diagnosis that had my world come crashing down. I lacked the ability to see past the circumstances, which felt impossible, and the dreams I once had for my life and family felt destroyed. Fast forward past many years of surviving and not at all thriving, And you'll see a mom who trusts that she can handle anything that comes her way and has access to the power and confidence that once felt so lacking. I created the Special Needs Mom podcast to create connection and community with moms who find themselves feeling trapped and with no one who really understands. My intention is to spark the flare of possibility in your own life and rekindle your ability to dream. This isn't a podcast about your special needs child this is a podcast about you. If you are a mom who feels anxious, alone, or stuck, then you are in the right place. Welcome. Hello, and welcome to the Special Needs Mom podcast. Today, our episode is a really good interview with Rach Wilson. What was really fun about this interview is she was literally across the entire world, the globe from me, Recording on a Saturday when I was still on Friday. She is from, yes, you guessed it, down under. She's from Australia. And I think, you know, all of us Americans just really appreciate listening to Australians. I don't know why this is, but we all love it. Anyhow, I'll tell you a little bit more about Rachel in a second, but before I do, I want to tell you about some really fun things that we have coming up. I've been working hard. Yeah, I am really thankful that this year our life has been a little bit more stable. Well, that's a lie. It's been a lot bit more stable compared to last year. And yet, you know, because of the lives we have as mothers of children with disabilities and complex medical situations, it's really not ever all that stable. However, I have had the time and space to be able to really invest into looking ahead. And one of the things that I've looked ahead on is this holiday season. And holy moly, I feel like Do you feel this way? Do you feel like it's a little bit more intense how quickly the stress turned on and the experience of, well, the not so great feelings that we have actually associated to holidays, which I thought was so interesting when I pulled y'all on Instagram that there were actually, I think, no words that came to mind that were positive in association with how you felt about the holiday season coming. And yeah, more on that later. But I want to let you know about some things coming up. So I have what I'm calling for now workshop week, which is going to be the week of Thanksgiving. And it's going to be an episode every day. How fun is that? So Mondays will be a little bit longer and the other episodes are going to be short and sweet because I know you'll likely have your hands full. But I wanted to give you a little bit of something every day to consider to contemplate and to actually have impact your life. So That's kind of what I'm looking ahead on. And then workshop week is kind of a buildup into what I'm calling the unchallenge. You know, it's, you know, common for like, workout people to be like, let's do boot camp, let's do challenge and like, you know, let's make our lives harder. (laughs) And I'm thinking that's not what we need over here at the Special Needs Mom podcast. So the unchallenge is going to be five weeks where we as a community are being very intentional about creating what we want and need during this holiday season. You know, actually creating some magic for ourselves and not just fantasizing about magic out there somewhere else besides our own home. And so we're going to be working as a community in that it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's called the Unchallenge because I'm very intentionally designing it to not add more to your plate. But this is just not the time to do that. And so yes, You will have to check in with the community and you might have to read an email or two. But I'm designing it to be, like I said, the unchallenge. So that's going to be starting the Monday after Thanksgiving. I don't yet have a sign up link for that, but I will be creating it and I will announce it here when I do. Or if you want to get on my email list, that also would be an easy way to make sure you don't miss it. So you can easily find a way to get on that list if you click away over on the podcast app and find my website lots of options. I trust you'll figure it out. Okay, so let's now go back to hearing a little bit about Rach. She was really amazing. I really, really enjoyed the conversation with her. It's evident that she really is an amazing coach. And she specifically, I mean, I'm obviously naturally bent towards liking coaches. (laughs) We all know that, right? But she's a relationship and transformation coach. That's what she calls herself. And she specifically works with couples with neurodiverse kids. And what I think is really interesting is, I don't think that there's that many of us that can say that through the hardest seasons, that on the other side, we have a rock solid marriage. And this is something that Rachel boasts. She said, she talks actually a lot about what she calls hell year, which is pretty phenomenal, this period of time that she had, which they were really, 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 really tested. And she can say that her relationship is rock solid after that. And I think it's really wonderful to see somebody modeling the possibility of both having a really hard life, but also a really good marriage. Okay, so this is why I want you to really hear Rach and hear her story. And have it help you expose areas where you feel like you might have stopped or you might be stuck. And definitely consider what is available for you as you connect to her story. So one of the things I think it's important to mention is like through this journey, she she had to, like it was literally her survival to get better at taking care of herself and figuring out how to work with herself and her children's needs. And one thing I really love about the way that she shares her story is she shares it all. She does not hold back the parts that are a little bit jaw-dropping. And the things that she has thought as a mother, I think you'll just really appreciate the authenticity and the transparency that she has that I think a lot of us really relate to. So without further ado, let's welcome Rach to the show. Rach, welcome to the Special Needs Mom podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Well, let's get a little picture, a little behind the scenes, if you will, of your life. Give us the story over there.
1: (laughs) Well, I live in Brisbane in Australia, which is beautiful and warm. I am married to my soulmate. He's my second husband, but we've been together nearly 22 years. We have all up four children. My eldest daughter is 24 and she's from my first husband. And then we have our three. Our eldest is just turned 18. And then we went back in our 40s to have just one more and had our <laughs> now an five and a half. But apparently, pulling out doesn't work and it only takes once and we ended up with an- another daughter. So oh we had four and a half. Pulling. I mean, didn't we learn
0: that when we were like 18? I <laughs> know. Oh, I'm
1: now the poster child for my other children.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious.
1: <laughs> Let's see. Uh, so out of the four of them, three of them are neurodiverse. My 18-year-old, she's adhd more inattentive and has a, a learning difficulty in that way my son has come through with an intellectual disability he is also autistic completely nonverbal. he has low muscle tone he also has ibs which led to a lot of problems digestive problems for him and he also has uh, sensory issues mm-hmm. you know on the side and then our daughter Our youngest daughter is also autistic. She's ASD 2-3. She is also, I'm going to say pre-verbal at this stage because we're starting to get words. She's three and a half, but she has speech apraxia, so she struggles with articulation. She is extremely smart but gets frustrated because we don't understand her. She also has a lot of behavioral challenges. So I would not be surprised if she gets the label of ADHD, ODD, or PDA, in the mix somewhere we're seeing a lot of that oppositional behavior she's got wild emotions so she's a little body with big feelings and you know I, I sort of joke that you know as all the children uh before they came down to earth you know lined up for all their personality pieces um our 18 year old didn't get a whole lot of emotion she's pretty easy <laughs> flexible cruises along she's 18 i've never had a major drama with her she's just not a, she's a no drama llama Um, However, our littlest one must have got like a triple helping because (laughs) she's drama-lama to the extreme. She's also got some sensory differences as well and she self-limits when it comes to food. She is highly sensitive to salicylates and amines, which means her diet and Jax's diet are like very little overlap. But if she has the salicylates and amines, it makes the rages like we get rages and full-blown epic meltdowns with her. So life is fun. What is it that you said? If she gets what? Salicylates and okay. amy. Naturally occur. So like what would have
0: – I'm not familiar
1: with that. Okay, answer. let me put it this way. When you take both of those out, the only safe fruit for her is a peeled pear.
0: That's okay. It. Just a pear. Oh, not a, I hope she likes she pears. Eat
1: all the things and she can't. Well, she could, but then it means epic – She's extremely precious. You only have to say something that even resembles the word no and it triggers her into an epic meltdown, um, which can trigger her into a rage. Once she hits us, hits the rage section, it's like she hurts herself. She hurts me. She goes to gouge my eyes out, rip my earrings out, scratch me, bite me, kick me, punch me. I've got scars from her scratches, I'm constantly bruised. So, yeah, it's, it's like trying to put a feral cat into a bath. She's that. At you. Yeah. Yeah. So that can be challenging because it can take 45 minutes to two hours to get her through to the other side where she's calm again. And um, before we took salicylates and amines out, we were getting rages two to four times a day.
0: Well, I think it'd be a whole other podcast to talk about how you figured all that and to support that. But <laughs> thank you for going, to <laughs> going into the to the background a little bit there and helping me understand. So thank you. Well, I think all of our listeners, and for sure, I want to say, wow. That's remarkable to parent such a spectrum of people, of personalities, of ages. Mm -hmm. And so I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience. Perhaps, you know, you can share overall and perhaps also share where there might have been the bumpiest parts of the road, maybe the deepest valleys. I'd love to hear a little bit about that.
1: Um, Well, we, because we're not new parents, we've had the two older ones and then our two littles, which is how we describe them, our bigs and our littles. You know, we thought we had this parenting thing down until the last two came along. And because of their differences and the struggles that they have and the challenges, their sensitivities and the way that they respond is all very, very different. I had to throw out the parenting manual that I grew up with and, and developed over time. And we've had to learn a whole new way of parenting, a whole new way of communicating, of understanding communication, of receiving affection. So as an example, my son, he's not affectionate. He's five and a half now and we're only just starting to get him come to us for something other than food, water, let me outside, any of that. Uh, so he just does his own thing. He's always done his own thing. For a while there, because he was kind of supposed to be my last, I was looking forward to the snuggles and the cuddles and the all of that stuff that comes with a new baby and a, a new toddler. And he didn't do it. That wasn't his thing. He had repetitive behaviours. He Went off he did his own thing, stared into space, never responded to his name, which let us know pretty early on. Like we knew by twelve months he was there was something going on. He had a lot of quirks. He did things very differently. Didn't play with toys like normal kids do. He would turn trucks upside down and play with their wheels, a lot of flapping, a lot of playing with slide doors and wandering around the room. So once we learned that he was autistic, um, we didn't know he had an intellectual disability until this last year has been confirmed. We had to to learn a different way of receiving love from him. So mm-hmm. if we got a look, we got looked directly into our eyes, we called that love. Mm-hmm. Oh, Thank you for the love, buddy. Thank you. If he would hold our hand, which he's only started to do in the last 12 months, we would call that love. If he came up and just rested his hand on our leg, we'd call that love. So we had to completely change our criteria that we were judging and we all judge but we judging you know oh that's love that's affection that's whatever from him but that allowed us to do the same for all of our kids we started to look at receiving in a different way and also giving in a different way because he didn't like cuddles face on we had to cuddle him from behind and he would allow that so we would you know come from behind because that's what worked for him and uh, that gave us a big, you know, we had to completely change everything in our perception. We felt like we were new parents all over again in so many different ways. And then to have a, another little one join us, which I've never done too close together. There's like six years between my first two, 12 between my second and third, and then there's less than two, no, just not over two. Between yeah. the last two, I'm like, ah, I know why I never had too close together before this.
0: Well, not to so- mention you did it. I did that when I was a young, a young, young parent, mm-hmm. right? and so. I was much younger, right? I was 10 years younger when I had my first and when I had my, se- my last. And my last is five years separate than my second last.
1: 12 years between the last two or the middle two. And that, I, I, I could have I coped with that. If we just had him and that was it, I, I could have coped with that. That was we were cruising along. I was getting back into my business and back to work and living life and, and taking him to therapy and doing all of that. I was handling it. And then our little Corey turned up. <laughs> and she is a big bundle of everything, but she came in and, and because she doesn't have the intellectual disability and her autism is different, she does a lot of cuddling. In fact, she's clingy. She's like hmm. the opposite of him. Like they're chalk and cheese in a lot in many ways. So their spectrumies are very, <laughs> very different graphs. But she comes along and she gives me all the cuddles. She gives me the kisses. She gives me the engagement. She also gives me a lot, of, a lot of extra demands. And she doesn't respond the same way the other kids do. So you can't tell her no because you get complete defiance. She has got the stamina to cry and tantrum and meltdown for hours. Mm. So if we stick our heels in, she sticks her heels in deeper. I'm like, right, okay, that's the old way of doing things. Don't doesn't work. We've got to come up with new ways of parenting her. So I started to learn it. Uh, we're, we're learning the, the nurtured heart approach, which is a positive parenting approach. I've learned a little bit about other ways of doing it. We're starting to instigate that, but I'm like, no, we really need to master this. So we invested in training to become better parents because we didn't grow up with this information. We grew up with mm-hmm. the usual, you know, three, two, one, I'm going to smack your bum. Um, Why do you want to do that? All the rules. Like, you know, and we understood the rules. That's
0: good. We don't have that over here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't always get the three, two, one. So, you know, hand up in the air. I'm like, ah! I remember it. When I got really unruly, that was, you know, resorted to the thing that I learned, what I grew up with. Um, But it doesn't work with these two. They don't have the same capacity for understanding like my older two. And my, my littlest one, well, she just turned the tables on everything, so nothing that I did before works. So it's been good because we've had to learn new ways of communicating with them. We've had to learn, you know, positive parenting approach, which is building them up. And it's taking time and it's taking patience. And I'm probably the most patient I've ever been as a parent with these two. That said, that's on a day where I've had some decent sleep and I'm not in the massive mm-hmm. burnout red zone because mm-hmm. I, that one is a major problem for special needs parents. Yeah. So, yeah, um, most of the time we're coping okay. Um, But as you know, with with a life with kids that have neurodiversities and special needs, life is like this. Lots of challenges, really hard, gets a little bit easier, lots of challenges, and we go through these phases on a regular basis. For us, we've we've cruised through most of it except hell year. (laughs) Hell
0: year. Let's hear it.
1: Everybody has their version of hell year. Our version lasted 12 months and we've had other stints for three to six months before that, but this was the year that nearly broke us. As individuals, our relationship was shaky, but not mm-hmm. broken. Mm-hmm. So 12 months of, so our son, he has IBS, which was discovered after a hell year and he would wake up multiple times a night in excruciating pain. Now, as you know, with kids who are in excruciating pain, who can't communicate, they tend to bang their heads and bite their arms and, and chew the fingers and whatever they can to express that they're in pain. And he would do that. He would wake up, he would start screaming, and what we started doing was putting him in the car because the car is a beautiful sensory environment for him. It calms him. So we could see then when the pain would stop and know that, you know, okay, that's how long the pain lasted. And it would last between 10 minutes and an hour. He would scream Mm. in excruciating pain. And we would drive. And we would take it in shifts. So hubby would normally do the first shift. And the rule was when the second coffee gives out, you have to tap the other person in. So for the bulk of 12 months, we weren't sleeping at the same time. We weren't sleeping Mm. in the same bed. We were literally ships in the night on severe. And there's probably a better word for severe, extreme. There's got to be something beyond that, but I can't think of it. (laughs) Something, yes. Yeah. Beyond that, um, sleep deprivation. Like at the same time, So he was having those, we were up multiple times a night, living on coffee through the night. McDonald's did a killing on us because we were (laughs) literally driving, doing the drive-through. We didn't have time from the time he woke up to sit there and make a coffee while he banged his head on him. We got to the car as fast as we could, but he would bang his head on the door as you were trying to open the door. He would bang his head on the car while you're trying to open the car and you just had to watch out for his head because he would, you know, throw himself forward and back. So we would do that and then... Often I would do the, the last shift and what I would do because I'd be too caffeinated to go back to bed, there was not much point. I would drive to the beach because we lived in a coastal area and I would park at the beach if he was asleep and watch the sunrise. And then mm. I would drive home at about the same time that everybody else in the house woke up. And then I would grab my baby and then I'd you know, then we'd get into the day. We would get into, you know, changing butts, making bottles, making food, and it was literally one thing after the other. We struggled so badly through that year because he was still working full-time. I was still having to take the kids to their therapy appointments and to the doctors and to all the things that they needed. We were living on only a few hours sleep each night, lots of coffee. And I've never been a coffee drinker. I hate coffee. Mm -hmm. I don't like the taste of it. But it became a necessity to Mm -hmm. literally stay alive while on the road. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: We did 100,000 kilometers going nowhere in that year.
0: I wish I knew the conversion to miles, but it sounds like okay, a lot. So,
1: yeah, so there's 1.6 kilometers per mile, so probably about 60,000 kilometers.
0: Okay, yes.
1: Ish. Sorry, ish. 60,000 miles. It's a lot. At the same time, that was when our daughter was having her worst rages, where we were literally be mm-hmm. getting her through a rage during the day. So for that 12 months before we found solutions for both of them, I'd be under her getting her through a rage for half, half hour, 40 minutes to two hours, two to four times a day. And if I wasn't doing that, I was driving him in the car. I had no room in my life for anything other than the kids. We went into such a deep level survival. My body was struggling massively. Burnout, ridiculous levels of burnout. Both of us at crisis level burnout. Mm -hmm. My physical body was giving me all the signs that there was something like we were really in the burnout zone. Let me give you a couple of examples because if you ever find yourself in this place, these are the warning signs that your body gives you. So regularly, as I get tired, I lose words. So I, can't mm-hmm. describe, I can not describe what the word is, but I can't tell you the word. The word does not enter into my mind. There is a term for that. It's called nominal aphasia, which they normally connect to people who have strokes. So as an example, my kids love to remind me of some of the things that I came up with when I was trying to find the word. I couldn't find the word spoon. So I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, food shovel.
0: food shuffle which when you say the word spoon it's much different not being able to say the word spoon than it is coming up with you know a a creative vocabulary word that you're trying to describe something with right so that's a great example or helpful example i should say
1: so basically what happens is as you get more exhausted the body goes into a space where it starts to try and conserve energy so Mm -hmm. it starts to shut down parts of what's going on Um, and these are the things that happen with the brain the science so Once you start losing words, the next stage is you start losing sentences. It's like the full sentence just does not appear in your mind to come out your mouth. Beyond that, you lose all words. No words come into your mind to come out your mouth. Beyond that, you lose the ability to understand what people are saying to you.
0: Hmm.
1: So there were many times, particularly it was around about the six-month mark. We'd been doing this for six months. Thinking that any moment now we were going to get a solution with the next paediatrician appointment, someone was— you know, his gut would suddenly heal because we're doing a lot of gut healing. We'd changed his diet. Surely it's just a matter of time. But once this stuff started happening, and I started, I'd, multiple evenings, like four or five o'clock in the afternoon, I'd be standing in the kitchen in one of those phases where I couldn't think, I couldn't speak, I couldn't understand. Tears streaming mm. down my face, and my husband would be like, "Right, you to bed." literally told me to go to bed. He would organize the teenager to take care of the baby um, so that she would take care of her and take her to bed with her and stay with her. So I could get maybe if I was lucky six hours sleep before I'd be on shift. And it'd be broken sleep because I don't sleep well when there's noise in the house and there's constantly noise in the house. And I was just, I was also in a dark place. I was having what they call dissociative episodes So as I was driving, I would see in my mind me grabbing the steering wheel and driving into oncoming traffic off a bridge into a tree. I would see it in my mind and it started to scare me because I'm like, well, how long until my body just does it? So at that point I went and saw an integrative doctor who does medical as well as naturopathy and Mm. natural. And they did all the blood tests to see where my body was at. And they said, you know, it's not just burnout, you're in like depletion. Like you really need a lot of – so they literally loaded me up with a bunch of supplements and that was more so to keep me going Mm -hmm. and inch my way back to some kind of health, knowing full well there's no way I was going to get to full health until I literally could sleep. To get out of that burnout, to that level of burnout that I was in, I would need at least 12 12 months to two years of complete rest, no children,
0: all (laughs) (laughs) self-care.
1: all rest all of that in order to recover from the level that I'd gotten to I was close to ending up in hospital so wow. I say I share these signs because don't let yourself get that far seek help get support get supplements like there's so many things you can do that you don't know that you can do until you reach out for help so don't get there we were also having a lot of I was my mental health was struggling Now, I'm a coach. I've got tools. I've got so many things that I can do. But when I was in the the thick of it, I didn't even want to reach for them.
0: Mm, I didn't have
1: the energy to think about any of it. I was literally in survival. Now, what happens in survival is you stop thinking about anything outside of what's right in front of you, including your partner and the people in the house. You stop being aware of them and going, oh, I wonder what he's doing. Is he feeling okay? I wonder how he's going today. Is he struggling? You stop doing all of that. You just, the only thing that you can think of is, okay, what do I absolutely have to do next? And you put off everything that you don't have to do. I disappeared from social media. I couldn't work. Self-care was was not happening. Um, Tiny little pieces at best. I wasn't socializing. I wasn't connecting with anyone. It would be when people would ask me, how are you doing? I would share. I'd be honest about what was going on. And then it'd be often a friend that would say, well, how about we do this? How about you call there? How about you do this? So, and they would help me to get the help that I needed because I almost couldn't myself. Mm-hmm. So I had that. The worst of it was at the end. So as we were getting you know, 12 months into this, we, it was Groundhog Day. We had no idea when it was going to end. Yeah. All the joy had been sucked out of life. Even though little pieces like our daughter laughing would give us a small amount of joy, but it was so small in comparison to what felt like this huge, you know, the questions, is my life always going to be like this? Is this never going to change? Is this it? You know, all of that, it just weighs so heavily on you. And the darkest point before we got to the light, I was driving my son around again and, I had a thought that I could just drive him and I into the ocean, drown us both, so I could so I could save the rest of my family. Yeah. Because it had been so hard. And my sister happened to call me. <laughs> mm. Just as that was in my head and I was crying because of it. And I was honest with her. On some level I knew she'd tell my mother, who we were staying with at the time, because we were in the process of moving from one state to another and it was over Christmas. I knew she'd tell her. So when I got home, she hands me a handful of little pills. And she goes, "Have these." <laughs> I was not this arguing should... at that point. Yeah, no idea. Okay, I love it. I, I <laughs> it to the antidepressants that she had. Um, oh, that's so
0: interesting.
1: I didn't care at that point. I just yeah. knew that I had gotten so low, and it's it's like a slow yeah. descent. It's not always a. If I'd gone from one to the other, it would have been easy to recognise but it wasn't until i was contemplating actually doing it i'm like holy crap that's that's not good that's not good it's
0: almost like have you heard of the uh frog in wa- uh, boiling exactly. water example yep. right so many of you probably heard this you know i guess i don't know if this is really true but we hear it a lot if a frog is in a pot of water you start to slowly boil it the frog will not recognize that the water temperature is changing to the extent that the frog apparently perishes because he doesn't get the memo. So it sounds very similar to your experience where you were just swimming
1: along in that pot. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. That's that's pretty much all I had to do. It was exactly like that. Like we were just dealing with each day as each day as each day. When I look back on it now, I can see how hard it was. I can see how traumatic it was for us during that time. Like there was a whole level of PTSD that I had to deal with from that year, from that whole experience. But while in it I just remember focusing on what I had to do that day, what's the next thing, what's the next thing. We had some help, which was great. If we didn't, I would have ended up in hospital. It was divine in the way that people showed up. Like when I was in in the, the deepest crevices know the the right person would call Um, my sister called my mother showed up my everything just kind of showed up I had to learn like from a I guess a manifesting whatever scenario that year broke me but allowed me to learn how to surrender
0: Mm. and how
1: to receive I'm a very strong independent woman I can do this all on my own but I could not do this on my own I could not do it it was so hard that I needed a community of people around me to get through. So around the six-month mark, we started to put things in place because we started to view it as a marathon rather than any moment now this is going to get fixed. And that's what helped us to get through for a lot longer. If we hadn't, we would have fallen apart way earlier. But we managed to get through the whole 12 months. And eventually we got the right doctor, we got to the right hospital, we got the right dietitian, and the people that were able to help us work out what was causing the pain for our son and what was causing the massive amount of rages and meltdowns for our daughter. And then from there, we had to rebuild. We had to rebuild as individuals, rebuild out of burnout. We had to rebuild our relationship because we'd spent so long being so insular and focused on what's the next thing. We had completely disconnected from each other. While we had conversations during that year that helped us sort of come back, what I learned from that was how to stay together through the hardest of hard times. You know, the things that I would have done differently if I'd been able to think about it, but can think about it now when I'm out of it.
0: Well, I definitely want to hear about those things. I want to go back for a second just to reflect a little bit. Many of the listeners of this podcast will know my personal story, which was, I I don't know that. Yeah, I guess we could call it a hell year for me in the sense of actually today, as of this recording, we're recording this on October 21st. This is the year anniversary of my son's second craniotomy and it was awful <laughs> and just as you were describing when we're in survival we're so focused on the present i remember actually and i i noticed this during i'm used to having a lot of like i would call them more deep thought where i'm reflecting i'm curious i'm you yeah. know kind of doing the coach thing and what i noticed about this time was uh, like there was just nothing there It was like what's for dinner i wouldn't say i was depressed but it just is like the depth was not there And I think I relate to the survival aspect of, of that. The other thing I want to really highlight is that you talked about surrender and receiving. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is a lesson that many of us are forced to learn. And that was actually, it's funny, you know, it was actually, I think my naturopath that was kind of filling in as a counselor a little bit (laughs) to talk about. And I have a therapist too, but uh, it just happened to be that the, the thing that she brought in terms of my overall health was surrendering and like you i'm a i'm a strong woman and i can handle a lot and we do handle a lot and there's such a gift in surrender and receiving and so any i wanted to highlight that i would love to hear about now you can look back oh that's i think the other thing i wanted to mention is now i'm a year out right and the year continued on with many other moments that were awful and I can look back now and see things that I couldn't see then as in how truly awful it was. I knew it was awful. I mean, intellectually, I knew it was awful at the time, but I think our brains and bodies, our nervous systems do such a good job of of protecting us from feeling it all at one time because we couldn't handle it. And so even though I was, I was trying, you know, I was, I was probably trying too hard to, to do it right. Just really fascinating for me looking back. So, I yep. want to look back with you a little bit. And so, you talked a little bit about the rebuilding. I would love to hear about specifically how you rebuilt your relationship with your husband after after hell year.
1: Yeah. So, as many special needs moms can understand, there's definitely no sex and no date nights that happen during look sometimes ever. But the you know, obviously through the hell times that that's not happening you're you may not you're probably not sending sexy text messages you're probably not sending little love notes you know, like you're probably not doing you know buying these extra things for him when you're out or your partner um, you know, that all falls by the wayside and you stop doing also the little things which means you both feel disconnected you mm-hmm. feel the space I had this conversation with my husband one day where I was particularly precious <laughs> as you are when you've had no sleep for months nearly year, and i said to him like where are you you're you're wandering around the house but you're not really here you don't come near me you don't give me random cuddles you don't say anything to me we don't talk about anything and my love language is quality conversation mm-hmm. um so i kind of expressed you know all of the stuff which were for me was the evidence that he wasn't here and he turned around to me and said well you realize you don't do any of that for me either like oh Damn.
0: <laughs> I totally have a double standard for my husband too. I
1: mean, it's, it's part of what happens in survival mode. You're looking outward at just what you can see mm. and and you're making an assessment on that. And it's not easy to then turn around and have a look at the whole thing. So don't ever feel guilty about that if you're particularly under low capacity is what we call it. because That's mm. the language we use in that for the kids. So we yeah. get low capacity too. Um, So when we're low capacity, we're overtired, we're overtaxed, we don't have that same capacity to consider everything outside of that. So don't, don't feel bad about it. But that's what happened. So when he said that, I'm like, oh, hey, you were right. Okay, so what can we do that's within our ability and capacity to help each other to feel connected? So his love language is touch. So affection and touch. So he said, look, I'm not going to ask you to have sex with me. (laughs) But if you could just come and give me, like touch me, give me a cuddle, just, you know, full body hugs or just come up behind me and hug me just, you know, a couple of times during the day, hand on the shoulder, anything. He said just anything would help me. Hmm. I said, okay, I I can do that and I'll do my best. And I said, if you ever need it and I'm not giving it to you, please ask. So I gave him permission to remind me. Hey, I could use a cuddle. Okay, cool. I can do that. And for me, I said just you know check in on me. Even if you just say, knowing full well that when you say how are you going, you're gonna hear I'm not doing good. You know, it's okay for me to to say that. I need my best friend so that I can kind of offload. I know that you're in this with me too, but sometimes I just need to verbalize that so that it's not in me and I can feel better. Can you do that? He said, Yeah, I can do that. When he knows it's not about him, <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah, like he doesn't have to fix anything when you're in survival, you're disconnected and it can look like the other person is upset, mad, whatever.
0: Mm-hmm. Not
1: the case necessarily, but he his thing is he avoids conflict. So he would avoid asking me how I was in case I was going to say, well, you've done this, done that, whatever. But it wasn't the case. So I, I gave him permission to check in to say, are you upset with me? <laughs> and then I can go, no, <laughs> I'm struggling with blah, 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 blah. And he said, okay, well I'll do that. So we we committed to sort of a daily me giving him some affection and him just checking in with me, just asking me how I'm going. Which gave us enough. It didn't fill the love tank, Mm-mm. but it was enough to keep going through the hardest times. Mm. Know that we're still there for each other, that we still love each other, that you know, I can see that he's struggling, he can see that I'm struggling, and our heart breaks for each other in that scenario. And what we found ourselves doing was taking on extra to try and lessen the load of the other person to make it easier for them but it would make it harder for us. So we, when we realised mm-hmm. that's what we were both doing, it's like, okay, we've both got to stop doing that because mm-hmm. it's actually making it worse. Mm. So we had to ask for what we needed. So even now I'll still say, can I go and get some what I call shutdown time? When I'm overtired and overtaxed, I, I can't is the only way I can describe it. I can't. I can't deal with you I can't and I can't get any other word out other than I can't. Mm-hmm. And for me that means I lock myself in my bedroom which means the kids can't come in no one's placing any demands on me I don't have to do anything think about anybody I turn the TV on my best course of action is to put something on I haven't seen before so my brain can get lost in the TV. It means my brain stops because it runs at a million miles an hour anyway because mm-hmm. I as I have kind of mentioned on the show, I'm going through the process of diagnosis for ADHD. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not physically hyperactive, I'm mentally hyperactive. <laughs> um, so, shutdown time becomes extremely important for me to be able to recharge and sort of settle my nervous system mm-hmm. to be able to cope with more. Yeah. So, I would have to ask for shutdown time, and he would have to ask for time out too. Then, instigated having every second Friday, I'd go spend the night at a friend's place. And every other Friday, here we go spend the night at a friend's place. So we got 24 hours out of the house and nice. actually sleep the whole night and not having the demands on us or having to think about anyone actually recharge us, even though it would only last like a day, if that, because we'd come back and then the other person would be so fried, we'd be in and on. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just nice to have that reprieve and it also yeah. felt good for us to give that to each other in yeah. that space. So that's how we got through. That was what we did until we got to – a time where he was, our son was sleeping again and we were sleeping again in the same bed. And we had to remember that we could cuddle up to each other in bed. We hadn't done it. We'd gotten so used to sleeping on separate sides. So we didn't wake the other person because they'd only just gone to bed or he was trying to get them the most amount of sleep as possible. So we had to remind ourselves of the things we used to do automatically that were connection that we hadn't done through the course of hell year. and. Not just that, I had to do this sort of stuff, as we know, creates a level of PTSD Mm -hmm. and for us it's called complex PTSD because it's not just one significantly traumatic event, it is many. So every time my son would get in the back of the car and he'd be screaming in agony, banging his head, biting his arms and he had bruises on his head and his arms and his fingers are still calloused from the amount of chewing on his fingers he did. But we had to go numb through that time because if I – Let it get to me every time I got in the car. Every time he had one of those episodes, it was multiple times a day. Yeah. I had to protect myself from it. And every time we had to go into the hospital because it had lasted longer than an hour, maybe something worse is happening. And then getting him checked, you know, every time I had to take him to the doctor now, I still, I'm highly anxious because – He doesn't deal well with being poked and prodded. We have to hold him down. We have nurses, often five of them, holding him down to do things like put a a cannula in. It's trauma, 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 trauma. So I, being a coach, I've got a network of coaches and healers and and whatnot in my network. So I just reached out to a few. Um, I didn't have any money that I could spend, but I had a good network of support where I said, look, I'm really struggling. If there's any way that we could do some uh, session together, that would be great. And often I had people offering it to me anyway because they knew mm-hmm. how hard it was. Thank God. And I, just, I allowed myself to receive. Beautiful. So that's how I did it. I worked on myself. I healed a lot of my trauma, um, you know, to the point that I can, knowing full well that, you know, we, const- we are still going through
0: mm-hmm. traumas
1: on a, a semi-regular basis but I know how to process a lot of the emotion out of it so it's not compounding like it used to. In the middle of hell year, it was not unusual for me to literally go months without showering. Really? Yep, because I would wake up in the middle of the night because it was my shift, I would get dressed, and then I'd get home and I'd be into the day, and then I would go to bed because by the end of the day, I'm so exhausted, Mm -hmm. I'd roll into bed. I think the worst of it was about, about a two-month stint. I don't know fully because it was Groundhog Day. You lose track of it. Yeah, life.
0: you're like, I'm not keeping I track here.
1: I'm clothes on most days, but there'd be sometimes two or three days I'd wear the same clothes because I'd, ro- I'd just crawl into bed and go to sleep and then I'd end up sleeping until I got up to go driving and I'd be already dressed. Mm-hmm. When it came to recovering, I had to remind myself to have a shower every day. And even mm-hmm. still, like, I just still don't have it every day. Mm-hmm. It's an effort to do it every day. Um, but I do it a lot more times in a week now. Simple things like you know, plucking my eyebrows, shaving my legs, putting some moisturizer on, washing my face. These became the things that were the first steps into self-care because these were the things that I wasn't doing a lot of when the things were the worst during hell year. And then wow. from there, we started to do coffee. hubby and I were just where we could get even just an hour. Let's go for a coffee. I wouldn't drink a coffee. I like to use the word coffee. I don't drink the coffee. just to get out of the house and just him and i have some time together you know at the end of the day we tried to do some more mindful instead of meaningless evenings but there are times where we're so tired it's like you know what i just need the tv i just need to switch off because that's what i need to do to recharge but we'll do that together he'll lay next to me and he does his instagram thing that he does (laughs) His, his thing is beer he loves craft beer so He does a lot of reviews oh i'll
0: have to introduce you to my cousin he has a brewery in australia anyhow um that's fun i just want to go back to the self-care i think what's interesting because it's funny i'm often like self-care is not you know taking a bath because i think that that's over here so much what people associate it to i often think that or i often say that it's kind of tending to your whole being right that's the self-care we need however I want to put it in here that like, actually, yeah, those, the basic needs are self-care clearly and starting where you're at is I think what self-care needs. And I think this is a beautiful example where, where you were at taking a shower was truly self-care. Yeah. And I think it's a good example to really recognize the uniqueness of all of our stories and our processes. I cannot even imagine not showering for two months. I almost showered twice a day. (laughs) And so I'm like, I think it has to do with some of my sensory issues. And I'm just impressed by that. I want to highlight also what you said, just in you sharing about this conversation that was sounds like pretty pivotal for you and your husband, where you're talking about your, your daily commitments to each other for you to touch him and for him to listen to you. And what I, what really stood out to me is that each of you were willing to identify what you needed and take a stab at it. Right. You know, I don't know that if you were going to bet a million dollars, if you would say, yeah, this is definitely what's going to make me feel better. You might be like, well, I don't know. Um, I think it'll work. Right. And so, but you identified a need and then you had the willingness to ask for it. And it just is a beautiful example. And I'm very thankful for it now that you look back at this year, what would you do differently? Like, what do you see now that you didn't see then that you're like, um, oh, should have done that?
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, really I would, I would have started it as a marathon earlier so that the shift in mindset. So even now if things start to go longer than a, a couple of weeks, we shift into, okay, let's, you know, act as if this is a marathon and hope that it's not. So that means you you change the way that you, you operate the, mm-hmm. the things that you put in place. You find more supports. You start to engage with, like I said, I organized with a friend to go and stay at her place once a fortnight and hubby the same. So we started to, to instigate, okay, well, we both need time out. And if we had done that earlier, we may not have got as frazzled as we did at that six-month mark. Knowing that all the supplements, like my body was struggling under the severe extreme physical stress, mental stress, emotional stress, Um, and it's in those times that we burn through a lot of our nutrients so magnesium is massive we burn through that anytime we're stressed i need to take magnesium daily and i'm not i'm I'm not in hell here but i have to take it daily Um, our son also needs to take it because it means that he sleeps if he doesn't have it he doesn't sleep or he wakes up in the middle of the night and he's awake for three to five hours making happy (laughs) speeches around the house which is great but i don't sleep so Some of those things I would have instigated earlier and become a part of our protocol for survival. And I think that's something that's worth, you know, every special needs parent and couple needs to have a a survival protocol or a survival plan. How can we pull back on anything that's going to take our energy and time? How can we, you know, if it's a nighttime thing, how are we going to split it up so we're both sort of it's, it's not even's not the right word because my husband can deal with a lot more physical stress than I can, but I can handle a lot more of the mental and emotional stuff than he can. So how are we going to harmonize? How are we going to work as a team? How are we Beautiful. going to be flexible is the best way to approach it. And knowing full well that, you know, it's going to be tough no matter what you do, but you can make it easier if you've got a plan already of those times where survival kicks in, how do we manage it? And then the second part to that is having a, how do we get back to thriving plan? Because once you're in survival, it cements in a pattern of behavior and thinking and even perspective because you're so short-sighted in that moment for that time and you may not be thinking about the future. I stopped thinking about the future. I had no goals. I had nothing, nothing to look forward to because my reality was so big at the time. So getting back to, okay, now that we've got this solved or at least we've got a lull, there's space in between the next storms, Mm -hmm. now's a good time to think about what do I want for me? What can I use to fill my cup? Do I want to get creative? Do I want to go back and do dancing? Whatever it is that's going to feel good, bring those back in as quickly as you can and getting the rest that you need. So that's part of the survival plan is how can we get everybody needs rest. Everybody needs extra rest. Wherever you can get it, however you can create the time for it, that becomes the number one priority. Even overdoing massive workouts at the gym because that is also physical stress that takes energy. So you, you pull back on your physical exertion. So you go walking instead of going doing a 10-mile you know, run. You know, little things like that become your survival plan. And then getting back to thriving, it's remembering, you know, almost writing down, you know, at the best your relationship ever was, what were the things you were doing for and with each other? And often we think back to when we first got together because I guarantee you, you talked all the time, you were affectionate, you had sex, you – you know, showered each other with gifts and surprises. You know, these are all the things that you did in the beginning, which for many couples was when they were thriving the best. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be that way. But you can write those down as a part of your getting back to thriving plan. Is okay, well, that's that's what thriving really looks like. But what little things can we do that are parts of that? So you may not shower them with gifts and surprises, but you might give them a little thank you note. Mm-hmm. Not hard to do, but it's something you've just got to be consciously thinking of, okay, well, how can I bring that in? Get back to your exercise. Get back to your hobbies and your crafts, or whatever you do that's just for you. And you know, here when you know what thriving looks like as an individual and as a couple, then you can create a plan to get back to there.
0: I love that. I think having the survival protocol is brilliant—a brilliant idea we have a plan it gives our brain a little bit of certainty and our brains love certainty and so i love that suggestion that's brilliant and also back to thriving plan right because i think it's like it's almost like i'm picturing this like arc right that you know you go up into survival and then you go back down and it's like you have a plan for both and i love that that you have that second piece that plan to start thriving again
1: yeah. Because there's so many couples that go through their hell year or their hell time or death valley, whatever you call it. Everybody's got a cute little name for it. Um, But they get stuck in that. Yeah. And then that just continues to chip away at the relationship. And the one thing I'm so passionate about is I know for me, if I had to go through hell year and be having my relationship be destructive and even more stressful, I mean it was stressful, but even more stressful than it was, that would have broken me massively. And to be then facing maybe doing it on my own, I mean, I know there are a lot of special needs parents out there and hats off to you who are doing it alone, but it is so much easier if you've got the support of another person who's in that boat with you. So for me, you know, I used to be a a relationship coach many years ago and then when I I, I literally took nearly four years off because of all of this. Mm -hmm. And when I sat down with God and just went, right, well, what do you want me to do? Like, where, where am I going next? Because I did business coaching and, and manifesting and mindset transformation and all of that in between. And relationships is the first thing that came through. I'm like, oh yeah, I could, I could see myself getting back to working with couples and even one person out of the couple. Because when you work with one person, it changes the dynamic. Yes. You cannot not change the dynamic in the relationship. And initially I'm like, oh yeah, I should work with couples that have got neurodiverse or special needs children. But First thing that came through was, oh, that feels too hard. Because I hadn't finished doing my healing work. Yeah. Had to heal a lot more of my own PTSD. And then it got to. I just want to, I
0: want to pause and say that's exactly the journey that I had, where I had the idea, the calling, and I was like,
1: no, 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 never mind. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, God, we're going to talk later, but no.
0: (laughs) And, and yet, and yet here I am. Anyhow, I just think that's, that's great.
1: Yeah, so did my own healing work, and then it just it sort of landed, and I'm like, ah, okay, now I'm ready. Now we can go, and it just it makes so much sense. Not everybody has this, but I knew all the way through hell year that it was happening for a reason. I didn't know what the reason was at the time, but I got so much from it. As mm-hmm. hard as it was, I am thankful for it because I learned to ask for what I really want and need. I learned to receive. I learned to surrender and I still struggle with these things. I'm not a pro at all of them, but I'm way better than I was. Yeah, um, I've learned to, to live in the moment where I need to. Mm-hmm. I've learned how the little things can make such a big difference. I've learned that my husband and I can really get through anything and how to do that. And I've connected with an amazing community of Mm. people who understand this and and community of people who understand it, even if they're going through similar themselves, it takes away that feeling of being alone. As alone as you are in the darkness of the night when you're driving your kid around or you're in the bathroom with another meltdown, you're alone in that moment. There's something comforting about knowing that you can grab your phone and and connect to a network of people who understand, who have been there, who can at the very least go, oh, honey, I feel for you. I'm there with you.
0: And like literally, I think what I notice is that I think the way that we can connect as mothers of these children is I do literally feel it, right? When I'm with like you know, when you share your story, it's like I can feel it with you, right? I mean, not in the same way that you do. Obviously, you, you had your own experience, but I think being together in it is yeah. is significantly different. Well, I want to I want to kind of turn to the relational aspect you know, you're a relationship coach. So let's talk a hot minute about what you see as the most common things to come up for relationships as special needs parents. And I wanted to take a stab. I wanted to take a guess. Go ahead. And because I hear obviously a lot about gaps in relationships. Mm -hmm. And so these are my, I was like, these are my top couple. So the first one is not feeling understood that the wife doesn't feel like her husband is there with her or gets her. And and or processing it differently. Whereas like she has a very different way of, of being with what's happening than he does. And that again, feels alone. This is the other one I think that comes up a lot is that he doesn't do it the way she does and she believes her way is the right way. Then my guess is, not having energy to have sex. I, th- I, I thought that would just be fun to put it yeah. in there. So anyhow, um, yeah. what, what are your top hitters, I guess, is what okay. I to so say.
1: the ones that I tend to get when I say, you know, what are your top relationship struggles? One of them is communication well, in yes. all forms. Yeah. Not being able to understand is a part of that. For me, that's also a part of relating, how to yeah. understand your partner. Um, and the other part, the other one is not being on the same page. Mm. So having a difference in how they want to manage the children and their behaviours and their meltdowns. One wants to do it this way. One wants to do it that way. So you're right when, when one of them thinks they're right. And the answer is often they're both right um, Mm -hmm. because the way that mum approaches it works for her. But when dad tries to do what mum does, it doesn't work necessarily for him. The way dad approaches it works for him. So there's, it's not always the case, but it's, having an opportunity to get on the same page. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I teach in my my big program is, A, communication skills because most of us grew up, you know, we, we go into relationships and in parenting usually from what we grew up with. Mm-hmm. We, there's no, most people don't go and learn about relationships. They don't go and learn about parenting. We, we jump into these things and we wing it. <laughs> <laughs> and we can wing it good and we can wing it not so good. I find that a strong... Foundation in relationships has three pillars. One is communication, and it's a skill. You can learn how to have healthy and effective communication. And there are so many ways to communicate in a way that doesn't end up in an upset or a blow-up. There is I promise you there is. The second one is relating. And this is the understanding part. This is knowing how to understand your partner, how to see their perspective. It comes from a foundation of knowing that you are both different that you are going to have different perspectives because you've had different lives different cultures maybe different religions all of that sets up your filter system for how you perceive the world truth is somewhere in between your perspective and their perspective is literally just like you're looking through a bunch of different colored lenses to see what you see and you will see it differently to the way your partner does but how different depends on your filter system that you've grown up with, the people that you've listened to, your authority figures, your experience, all changes the way you perceive things. The relating pillar is all about learning how to understand each other, how to work as a team, a healthy, effective team, how to be flexible and fluid together through life's curveballs and storms. And our kids are definitely one of those curveballs, and they bring many of them (laughs) And then the last one is developing emotional maturity.
0: Mm, This is where we
1: deal with our baggage. And I guarantee you every person has baggage. You have destructive and unhealthy patterns of behavior, patterns of thinking, patterns of the way that you interact with each other. And I know this because think about this. When you are upset, when you are frustrated, when you have a a something with your partner – how often do you turn into an immature child? You, <laughs> I still slam doors. So, you know, I'm not saying that I am. I've all of this. Well, I'm
0: laughing because like you and I know this and we also know that like, you know, yes, there is there's a spectrum of emotional maturity, but I don't think anyone ever gets to like complete, right? Like no one ever gets to like the point with which they're not sometimes returning to their childhood ways. What?
1: Yep, absolutely. So, you know, the tit for tat, the overly defensive, the overly mm. emotional, having to fix it, withdrawing. I mean, these are all immature conflict behaviours. And it's just because there are parts of us that we have not healed. There are programming in that we've we've gained from just growing up with the people that we grew up with. And I don't know anyone who grew up with parents who were extremely good at relating, communicating, parenting, emotional mastery. I mean, We've all got stuff. So the last pillar for me, particularly in the program, is really about teaching you how to be self-aware. I give you tools to be able to do that level of work because we should all be doing that work. Every time we have a, a situation with our child that creates another level of PTSD, we need to be processing those moments on a regular basis. Think about we consume food, right? It has to go out the other end. (laughs) <laughs> if we didn't poop, that's going to get really painful really fast. So your emotions are the same. We are moving mm-hmm. through life. Life gives us us experiences and we feel pain and we feel frustration and we feel upset at different things. And if we haven't healed something, those moments are not just upset, it is detrimental. It is not just frustrated, it is rage. The extreme emotions are often an accumulation of emotions that have not been healed or processed fully. So everybody needs the tools to be able to do this level of work for themselves. I've had to work with other people because I can do a certain point with myself but I need someone on the outside of me to help me to see what I can't see, to ask the questions that I'm not asking to me go, ah, that's what it is, and then I can do the healing work. Every person on the planet needs to have that. And because they don't, this is what becomes the biggest root cause of problems in relationships. And when you've got special needs kids, not only is your relationship under pressure, it is under extreme pressure. And I always said that if you've got any cracks, gaps, or toxic patterns in your relationship, as soon as you add pressure to it, you will see them. So when you add kids, you're going to see them. That's why, you know, relationships fall apart once you have children. Um, But Mm. it's, it's even more extreme and it's even more in your face when you've got special needs kids and the extreme ex- circumstances that they bring you. So that's why the divorce rate, the breakup rate for couples like us is so, so high. And that's why my passion is really to, to significantly reduce that because we need to have a healthy relationship. We need to have a rock that we can lean on through the hardest times in our partner. Yeah. And that means that if we're happy then we've got less stuff that's in the environment in the family environment for the kids to be reactive to. So it has a flow on effect. And that's it's just so, 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 so important.
0: Yeah, what I think is interesting often is I see mothers putting all everything into helping their child, yet not realizing that her way of being, the gap in all these things that you just pointed out, is actually the most influential thing over her child. Right. And so it's like it's like if you want to help your child, help yourself. Yeah, it's help the you. whole
1: thing, you know. Oxygen on your own face, Mom, yeah. like That place first. But a lot of women, in particular, we are so focused from the time that they're born. We give everything. We are now. They need us. But the problem that I find, even with kids that don't have disabilities, is that that continuation of continuing to fill all their needs and take care of them at that level goes on way too long. There are definitely times our kids don't need us in that moment. And those are the times that we need to prioritize us more, yeah. so much more because if we've got capacity, and I know this for myself, if I've got capacity, then I can have that patience to last through that meltdown and that rage so much better than if I am already low capacity and I am frustrated because she's even made a sound, let alone get through another two hours of meltdown.
0: Yeah, that's why when I look back at your hell week, I'm just thinking, wow, like, because knowing that you would have had tremendously low capacity to, to just to survive that it is really remarkable. Rich, I've really enjoyed hearing you. I can tell that you're an absolutely phenomenal coach. Is there anything that you is on your heart that you haven't gotten to say or share yet? Um, as we wrap up. And I'd love for you to to tell us a little bit about how people can contact you if they want to really dive into their relationship.
1: Yeah, I think probably one of my last sort of thoughts is it's it's self-care to work on your relationship. Mm. That's your relationship to yourself as well as your relationship to your partner. You deserve to have a happy, healthy, harmonious, loving, passionate relationship. You deserve that to get that it will take work. It will take some focus. It won't happen overnight. And if your partner and you are struggling and it's not over, if you still love each other, there is still a chance, a good chance that if you commit to doing the work, to learning the skills, because communication and relating their skills, you can learn this stuff. And doing the work, then you've got such a an opportunity to have the exact kind of relationship that you truly desire and deserve. And I want that for as many people as possible.
0: Yes, well said. And how can people reach out to you if they want to dive into this self form of self-care in in terms of investing in their relationship?
1: Yeah, well, you can find me on my website. Um, So that's divinerelating.com. And you can reach out to me by email, rach at divinerelating.com. I'm also on Facebook and you're more than welcome to friend my personal profile and it's rachwilson76, so facebook.com forward slash rachwilson76. Just send me a message and let me know that you heard me on Cara's podcast. That way I will accept your friend request because I often delete them because they're not people that I can serve or that I know that I can actually serve. Um, And I've also got a group now i've just launched it it's relationship support for couples with neurodiverse kids you can either search for that or if you find me you'll see it on my profile it's right there you can click straight into it and go straight into the group and i put a lot of content in there i'm doing lives i'm doing little mini courses i've got a virtual workshop coming up that i'm letting all my um, people in my group attend for free so there's a lot of things coming up in the future and yeah you can reach out to me through those channels
0: Okay. Lots of options. I like that. And all of your information will be in the show notes for anybody that wants to to just hop over there. The links will be there if you're driving and can't write anything down now. Well, Rach, I just, again, want to say thank you so much for being here, for investing firstly in yourself to get to where you are today, but then in um, investing your time in this conversation to share what you've learned with our community. Thank you. Well,
1: thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: One more thing before we officially, officially wrap up this show. Sometimes when I'm listening to podcasts, I have the experience of wanting more. I'm listening at the very end thinking, I sure wish that episode didn't end. I invite you, if you feel in any way the same way, I invite you to the Special Needs Mom podcast community, which is a free group that I host on Facebook, where we as a community Of fellow moms who listen to this podcast and are experiencing life in similar shoes, get to talk to one another, get to share stories, get to actually interact. I hope you'll consider joining. See you over there.